I'm Maya Chupkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. Welcome to Proud Stutter, a show about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. Welcome back to Proud Stutter. Today, we will be speaking with two incredible activists. Our co-host today is Benjamin. Benjamin, can you let us know a little bit about you? Yes, my name is Benjamin Lundberg Torres Sanchez. Thank you so much, Maya, for having me on the podcast. It's such an honor to be able to collaborate with you. I'm coming to this space as uh, an adopted, uh, an adoption and foster care abolitionist. Um, I myself was separated from my first family for 28 years through a private transnational adoption process that was administrated by lawyers and social workers who first coerced my mom out of her parental rights um, and then um, through the adoption process displaced me to the U.S. Um, but with that said, I'm really excited to get into it. Thank you so much, Benjamin, for being so open and for being here. And our guest today is Caitlin. Caitlin, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Caitlin uh, Borsowitz. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for being here. Just to add a little bit more about Caitlin, Caitlin is a biracial Filipina. She's a co-founder, and she's a writer living in Arlington, Virginia. So um, normally I go first to our guest, but um, Benjamin, I actually want to start with you. As someone who does not stutter, can you share a little bit about your experiences, if any, with the stuttering community? Thank you so much for that question. I think throughout my life, of course, I have shared space with people who stutter through public school, um, my classmates in uh, college. I studied theater and performance, and so something I really noticed in that context was the way that our training was deeply ableist um, and also not very culturally relative. And so people's voices, um, whether their voice uh, stutters or has an accent that our professors and teachers deemed to be non-standard for US American English speaking, <laughs> were really aggressively um, asked to change their voice. And so I think that is the most direct context where I have encountered people demanding a voice be and sound and uh, express and articulate in a really specific way. And certainly I did have classmates who uh, in acting school who stuttered or lisped or voices that were, were looked at as non-standard, which of course is deeply ableist. Thank you for that. And I love the term non-standard because usually I use the term normal. Absolutely. And I, I'll underscore that I think who is labeling a voice as non-standard is really, really important to just register. All of my acting professors' voices met what people think of as standard U.S. American English. And so, of course, that's loaded with racial associations, class associations, um, access to education associations. Yeah, standard is not standard. We all have accents. We all have beautiful, unique voices. I think one of the biggest things I'm ref 
reflecting on um, and is coming up as a through line for me as I was understanding my stuttering and even my own um, other invisible uh, disabilities was kind of the role in, uh, of school with that. So many of the, my own um, negative self-image came from what teachers or peers would label as non-standard behavior, which really kind of um, carved the way for how I think about myself as a now 30-year-old. Um, so I think to hear that uh, reflected again uh, just shows to me how important those connections are. Can you talk a little bit about your journey to becoming a co-founder and being a leader in the disability space? In uh, 2017, I founded um, a, a business with my colleague um, and now friends called the Melanin Collective, um, which is basically a communal space for women of color um, who are trying to navigate toxic work environments. And um, that business is um, disability owned, minority owned, but one of the things we're always learning, um, me and my uh, co-founder, are all the things that we don't know. And even for myself as someone who stutters, I didn't realize that verbal diversity is something that we should definitely be looking at kind of in the, in the um, scope of our work. Um, and I think that like those intersections with you know, me as a stutterer, me um, who identifies as a woman of color really is kind of why I'm here today, right? To talk about that sort of um, self, self-advocacy self in different spaces because when you're struggling with like how to speak up for yourself as someone with a marginalized identity who might not like physically be able to speak sometimes, um, that can be so damaging. Really examining, I guess, customs that lead people to be silenced um, is just really interesting for me. I really wish I had been able to stick up for myself in many of the toxic work environments I was in. So um, thank you so much for for doing that work. I think it's extremely important. So I want to talk about activism. We're all activists here in this space. And I, I'm curious, how does stuttering show up in your activism, Caitlin? I don't know if unfortunately is the right word, but I feel like it's still progressing. I think the first time um, I knew that my voice was non-standard uh, was in fourth grade, and even then, like very hyper like hyper vigilant about how I show, um, kind of presented in um, the school spaces. I remember there's this one time that. I was late to class and um, the class was already kind of like midway through an activity and I was trying to ask the teacher, you know, what what I should be doing, what is the class doing, but I couldn't like say, like nothing would come up so she asked if I was stupid. There have been other moments like that in school that really just solidified for me that I needed to just not talk and not show up and uplift other people because I just physically couldn't do it uh, or I, I guess like my my voice couldn't do it um, and that's actually been something that I've been trying to unpack even with my work at the Melanin Collective um, I'm really lucky to have a supportive friend um, 
who is always reminding me that I deserve to be in a space. One of the things that was really a challenge for me when we first started kind of like presenting or even talking to other people about our work was that I had massive (laughs) imposter syndrome about talking. Like I didn't want to and I belittled myself, um, let people kind of like talk over me and things like that. And she's been... (laughs) kind of coaching me to not do that because even though um, I have a stutter and it's, you know, um, my voice is like non-standard, um, I, we all deserve to say what we want. Um, so that's something that I'm, I still don't know if I've figured it out or even like internalized quite yet. But yeah, I guess that's kind of a, my journey in a nutshell so far. Yeah, I've, I've definitely struggled with imposter syndrome as well. And I think I've always attributed it to something that isn't my stutter because I feel like the root of all my insecurities really is in my stutter, but I never wanted to admit that because admitting it just means it's it's there and it's something that I'll never be able to overcome. So I feel like it wasn't until I came out as a person who stuttered, I finally found the root cause, or one of the root, I'm sure there's a lot more, but one of the root causes of why I hold back and why I question myself. And, you know, there there's a lot there beyond stuttering, but I just feel like as soon as I came out as a stutter, so much of myself was finally being realized. And I feel like I'm a different person now versus before I came out and so what you just said really just struck a chord in me and yeah so um, I really appreciate you sharing that I'm kind I'm I'm reflecting right now um, so don't take my silences not being present yeah we like silence on this podcast, especially because I think it's so, when you're in spaces, um, I think there's this natural instinct to fill in silence. And even as people who stutter, I always, when I'm struggling with getting out a word, there's always this pull from others around me to fill in my silence. And so... (laughs) But sometimes silence is good. I don't know if it's appropriate to ask you a question. I was just curious to hear about how do you think about yourself as, I don't know, like the person you were before you came out with a stutter versus after. And has that made kind of speaking up for yourself um, easier? I think it's made connecting with other people a lot easier because even through my life, when I would hide my stutter, I felt like by hiding my stutter, I would be able to connect more with people because it would be easier to communicate. And But after I came out, I realized that people weren't really connecting with me because I was hiding such a big part of myself. And so it's kind of when with my stutter, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that it's hard to connect with a stutter and it's hard connecting when you're hiding your stutter. And so I think what may like, and what, what it is really to be human means to form connections with people. So as people with speech differences, 
that can sometimes get in the way of fully connecting with someone. And even though I was doing such good work before I came out, like I was advocating for affordable housing and all these good causes, the foundation of my connections was just not as strong. And I feel like ever since coming out, I've really been able to step into my power more and um, and do th- things that I never thought possible, not because of my stutter and that I'm open about it, but more of just getting over that imposter sy- sy- syndrome, which still happens, but I just feel like I'm I see myself as much more powerful now. I wanted to ask, because y'all are talking about um, connecting with others um, and the impact of having social community, um, the advocacy and organizing work that I'm a part of is um, with adopted, fostered, and trafficked people. Um, We as a group are really, really dispersed. You know, there's no geographical kind of bounding to our community. And I imagine the same is true with folks who stutter, that you find people um, through the internet and other channels um, that may be very near to you or very, very far away. And so I'm interested in just any perspective that either of you have to give about um, forming social community. And yeah, I have so many questions, but I'll start, I'll just check it there. One of the reflections that I was thinking about as you were asking the question is just the most rudimentary form of connection, which is like your name. And it was reminding me of like my experience as a child, not being able to say my name like even when I had to um pronounce my last name you know that that is very hard for me like b's and k's are unfortunately like really difficult words for me or or sounds so I'm like I did not win like the like the the sound jackpot with my name just remembering that you know I'd go over to a friend's house and a parent would ask me my name and I couldn't say it and it was just like I remember this like profound like waterfall of shame just like coming over me like how can I not say my own name like that's so embarrassing and so in that way I feel like and and this is like part of my own uh I guess journey learning to understand myself um was that I was really scared of connection because you have to let people know who you are and there were so many times that I couldn't um so I don't know yeah and, and and to Maya's point I don't want to assign too much blame you know there are other factors um apart from my stutter but I'm I'm always in this like questioning space of how much did it contribute to the fact that I didn't have a ton of um connections when I was a young person it really was into my like mid-adulthood that I was actually able to make um some connections to people and coincidence or not um it was all usually around when I was starting to tell people like I have trouble with words sometimes I get nervous um and I don't know what what, what about that was so freeing and why that opened me up to more um relationships but it's just something that I was thinking about I want to dig in a little bit more about the workplace because it seems like both of our experiences and perhaps even Benjamin's experience has been very um it hasn't been designed in in a way where it's supporting us as as people and so can you talk a little bit more about 
Caitlin, your experience in the workplace and maybe, you know, how you were treated and yeah, just getting into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. And my starting point for all conversations about the workplace is that it's not designed as an institution. The workplace is not designed for people who are not, you know, heterosexual, white, and male. Even things about like, like fluorescent lighting not being good. Everything is just designed around kind of that very narrow identity. So any divergence outside of that including how we speak is seen as um, a tick against us, like a personal failing. And that's something that is deeply, deeply frustrating to me because it's not about you or me. It's about the system that we work in. So one of the things that I try to do um, in a very micro way right now is Um, always sharing resources about verbal diversity, about stuttering. If I see people kind of poking fun at someone else for how they talk, I try to like lightly call them in just to like normalize that there's not a one right way of doing things. I still feel like I'm reverting to my child self. We'll say that, yeah, I'm not prepared or, um, you know, I don't communicate well. That's something that I've heard about a lot, um, like in past uh, performance reviews, like I don't speak clearly or I don't articulate myself um, well enough. And um, I'm just hoping that there's gonna be a day that I can give myself that um, that protection that I give to sort of uh, um, other people. But I think for the meantime, it really just starts with that um, education and just showing people that this is not a bad thing and the other part that I'm that I was thinking about too when it comes to so there's the workplace and then the activism the one thing that I am really hyper aware of and still don't know how to um kind of deal with is you know there is almost like a right way to talk and like the vocabulary and like vernacular you use and for someone who stutters you know, those words aren't always accessible to me because I just like literally can't say them. So I'll have to like work my way around it. Um, and I have experienced kind of being like policed for the words that I use. And it's, I, it's deeply frustrating. Um, and, you know, sometimes you don't have good, like strong enough relationships with people to say like, this is why I can't say this. Um, but just something that I've, noticed and I'm still trying to wrestle with I think in my own kind of activism work wow that is such an amazing point and I've never thought of it that way before because I think there is in the activism space which we're all in there is this protection that we have for our communities and using the right language and you know being sensitive to being misjudged or mislabeled and I totally feel that's definitely they're like they like they have every right to feel like that we have every right to feel like like that but I think there is that that's like such a good a point and like how can we also like while we're making space for all these types of identities and um, all these d- different communities as we're making space for 
for everyone else, like how can we make space for ourselves in that? And so, um, and it's, it's tough. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like there's, I haven't really come up with the right way to show up in activism spaces when it comes to that particular piece of language and being respectful. But I think the more we can naturally normalize stuttering, I think that will chip at how we can make space for not being able to say all the things we want to say. I would say too that the culture that some spaces hold where there are right and wrong ways to say things, um, that a lot of that is inherited from white supremacy culture, from patriarchy, from ableism, that there's, I mean, even this term that we're kind of like choosing to use in this moment of standard or non-standard, of course, like comes from a person's perspective that is normative, right? And so like, there is no such thing as a standard voice, but then we inherit this like the standard from somewhere. And I feel like that also trickles down to the words and language we use. I would so much rather be in a space with somebody who can hear my truth and say like, oh, actually in this moment, I prefer you use this other way, or let me tell you about my experience and it might reshape the, the language that you use, but that it's more about like care and compassion. Um, you know, as like a gender fluid, like trans non-binary person, all of my colleagues misgender me sometimes, but I would so much rather somebody just correct in the moment or um, if I address it with them, say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work on it and, and get better next time, you know, rather than approach with defensiveness or rejection of my experience. All we can do is try to meet each other having compassion for people's learning as long as they also have um, openness to what they're being asked to do and come through for, for me is the, the number one and keeps us from having like rigidity in our movement spaces. If this feels like good to answer now, a question that I've been wanting to ask you, Caitlin, is like both in your organizing with women of color and holding your experience as somebody who stutters. Um, I know that for me, I can no longer meet in spaces with people who are uh, where the only thing binding us together is identity like I would not go to an adopted person only space just because everyone is adopted at this point in my life I want to meet with adopted fostered and trafficked people who also share my values you know um I'll say as a light-skinned Colombian person, like there's hella spaces for Colombian people who are very, that are very white supremacists, that are very nationalist, that are you know, all of these things that I, you know, don't want to share space with. And so I've sought out comrades, yeah, who share my values. And so I'm curious, like either what values you try to draw towards yourself and your your advocacy and activism and organizing and also like what values you feel like you hold because you're you have an experience of stuttering at the mel so at the melanin collective we're always leading with our values but i realized that i don't think i've ever spent time reflecting on the things that i value maybe in um like concrete words but for me the things that come up um when i'm thinking about the people who I've chosen to be kind of my family um, are things like 
openness, um, like openness as a way to avoid um, rigidity, as you were kind of talking about, um, empathy. Um, I'm a very empathetic person to a fault. Um, honoring identity, that that is really important to me. I My biggest pet peeve, in life is smooth smoothing over or assuming that all people have the same experiences um, I really want to know people or who they are where they came from and how that has led them to be um, kind of where they're at now that is very interesting to me and then author- authenticity uh, which is again I think one of the reasons why I've been able to you know, I have a small core set of friends, but the people who I think of who have my back are the people who I've been able to say, like, I stutter. This causes me a lot of anxiety and shame, and they've uh, really embraced and accepted me. Because, yes, I think looking kind of only at uh, building relationships off of identity, um, I think it could be a starting point. So, Caitlin, you grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, upper class. Can you talk about your upbringing, being a woman of color, having a stutter? What was that like for you growing up? When I was growing up, you know, I think the culture that really taught me that I was a problem was that culture of, like, white Catholicism. Um, I went to a private um, school during elementary school and by far I, I my family was not as wealthy as the people who went there I don't think I looked too similar to many of the people who were there just a lot of different opportunities that they had access to that I that I didn't teachers insulting my intelligence was just something I experienced a lot as a kid and how about your family? My Filipino family. We never talked about stuttering. I don't remember that. I don't know if my mom or dad ever brought it up, but it was always um, just like this welcoming home base that I can come to and feel like myself. And even in in therapy, because I love therapy, <laughs> um, we were talking kind of uh, talking about my stutter um, as it relates to like nervousness and. You know, we were exploring the fact that um, when I was most nervous is when I would stutter the most and I was not nervous around my family. So it never really came up. So all that's to say is I'm I'm really fascinated by this question because it's like bringing up for me like how being in a place that doesn't see you or accept you can make you feel that you're not right even when you have this whole other community on the other like side of town um, who accept you and um, love you for who you are. One of my favorite things about season two is being able to connect dots between stuttering and different topics and different groups of, of people that have been marginalized by the society. And one of those, one of those groups is the one that Benjamin is a part of. And and Benjamin, I just, I'd love for you to talk more about your work and where you see the connections to the stuttering community. My work is like really solidly in adoption and foster care abolition. 
some other kinds of terminology that I and other impacted people use is um, family regulation systems abolition or family policing abolition or family separation systems abolition. What we do know is that systems like adoption and foster care um, use regulation, surveillance, and policing as solutions to political, economic, and social problems. Um, I and others believe that there are different ways that we can go about this, primarily by changing our priorities within society, like what are we resourcing and how and for whom. Um, breaking down a lot of the different kinds of isms that we've already talked about today. And so I want to see a world where we don't abandon people. I think that the government, um, and this is the way that I think that stuttering and uh, family regulation intersect, the government routinely operates in many different kinds of organized ways. But um, as the scholar Ruth Wilson Gilmore has offered us, um, the government also participates in organized abandonment, so intentional organized ways that people are discarded in society. So whether we're talking about foster care systems or prisons or the way that the way our world is constructed disables people, um, we see a direct connection within foster care and adoption marketplaces, which that's what they are. Um, they're, they're markets. Um, for the transfer of children between families there's a price tag right and much has been written about the racialized dimension of this which is like again following white supremacy putting quote-unquote adoptable children at the top of the hierarchy and black quote-unquote adoptable children at the bottom literally attaching a lower price tag um, to the fees and processes associated associated with um uh, adopting a Black child. But of course, none of these kinds of um, experiences are in isolation. So, so too does the marketplace like follow ableist logic. And so there would be a lower kind of price for like fees for services and for the process for many children with disabilities. And of course, like the most quote unquote desirable baby is an infant, children who then are learning language and finding a voice. I think absolutely something like a stutter would be noted in a case file and a, a, a would-be adopting parent who is like literally shopping for the child that they find most acceptable <laughs> to adopt um, may choose to say, no, I don't want to adopt somebody who has a stutter. And so like, um, just as they might say, no, I don't want to adopt somebody with a physical disability, you know, um, there's really, really, really intense like me bias um, or <laughs> oppression within the industry. And so I think we, we have to recognize that adoption and foster care are deeply racist systems, deeply ableist systems, deeply racist systems. The weight of these forces on my and other impacted comrades within our sphere of organizing, like absolutely touch on things that have been mentioned today. And I think the final comment I wanna make is that something that I feel like adopted, fostered and trafficked people can learn from disability justice movements is interdependence. You know, the fact that we have to break out of our silos and work with people who are different from us. And I think like there's a, often a lot of resistance 
to partnering with people who don't share our experiences because they're often so marginalized by these forces. But ultimately, we need each other. So like I, Maya, it's such a huge gift and I have so much gratitude to you for inviting me into this space and we have to have to see each other and work together. Um, because I think, you know, Caitlin, as you alluded to, alluded to earlier, like our liberation is bound together. Our movements need each other. That was amazing. I was writing down so many things from what you were saying. One thing that really struck me and is something that I'm really hopeful for the future is uh, that part about creating a world where we don't abandon others. I think so much of the work that I do outside of my nine to five is like obsessed with that central tenet. Like how do we bring people along in this world that is burning a bit, um, a lot of terrible things are happening on a daily basis, but how do we make sure that we're not abandoning each other in the process of our own like healing um, and just trying to shed all of these like oppressive like v- um, vines that have just by no fault of our own like wrapped around our bodies. Um, so I'm really resonating with that. Um, and just the other thing, maybe a little bit more um, centered on on myself is that I'm really. Um, you know, s- s- uh, stutter and all, I'm really trying to lean in and um, hopefully through this podcast also invite others to lean in um, to figuring out what really brings you joy in life. Um, even if that means going after something that traditionally might be closed to you. And right now for me, that looks like getting a PhD. Um, that's some I love learning. Um, I love being kind of nerdy I guess or let me not shoot myself down uh in that way but as someone with a stutter academia seemed closed to me because of um you know just how you have to show up in a space um but I've recently come to um other realizations that I can make it work differently for me um so again just going after what you want, leaning into that and realizing that it could look different for you. That experience can look different for you. You don't have to retrofit yourself um, to make others happy, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think that is a very good place to end. Thank you so much, Caitlin and Benjamin, for being here, for sharing your hearts with me. This was a conversation that I'm going to keep with me for a very, very long time. And thank you all for listening. And I will see you next time on Proud Stutter. And that's it for this episode of Proud Stutter. This episode of Proud Stutter was produced and edited by me, Maya Chupkov. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of a future episode, visit us at www.proudstutter.com. And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Want to leave us a voicemail? Check out our show notes for the, the number to call in. More importantly, tell your friends to listen too. 
Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you.